Now I'm on. Okay. Hey, let me try that again. I'm so glad to be here. So grateful for that introduction from, from Paul, just mostly because of um, the way that God has um, knit our hearts together, the friendship that he's talking about. And I um, have so much respect for Paul as a, a pastor and um, a, a husband, a father, and someone who's really pursuing um, becoming more like Jesus in his life. I'll confess to you that I don't remember the last time that I had a chance to share at a congregation where there was just so much red. And, um, I, you, know, I, I, you know, I'm not going out on a limb to say that the team with red in their colors is going to win the Super Bowl today. Um, I, you know, I'm tempted. They talk in the scripture about a wave offering, right? At worship, I was thinking, man, with all this red, maybe we should do the wave here in the, in the, in the church this morning. That might be, might be fun. But um, yeah, just wonderful uh, to be back here and with you, to be greeted, um, yeah, so warmly by so many. And I do want to just uh, take a moment before we uh, jump into our main passage of scripture to uh, just talk a little bit about some of what I see God doing here in the Bay Area and Sonoma County and Santa Rosa because I, I do feel like um, I get a, a unique vantage point sometimes to share good news. And we need to hear good news as being followers of Jesus uh, in this part of the world. I'm, I don't know that this is the case because I haven't asked Paul directly, but you heard him share. Thank you you know, myself, others, prayer for him and his trip to Chicago, that that was, I hope, a, a really meaningful time. But, but I'm going to go out on the limb here. We'll see. I'll let him confirm that when he was in Chicago, there were people when they heard he was from California who were kind of like, oh, like you're from California. You're in a, yeah, right? You're in a, a tough spot, right? Because let's be honest, we are in a place um, in this uh, nation, especially geographically, we're known for those being in communities where people have really forsaken God. They've forsaken uh, the word of God, the knowledge of God, the pursuit of God, right? That, that um, have really uh, established uh, systems and, and um, you know, woe to us for being in places where uh, evil is called good and good is called evil. Is that, I mean, it's right. And so it's not surprising that. But what I want to say is though we're in a place where people have forsaken God, we are not in a God forsaken place. The Bay Area is full of nine counties and the blood of Jesus applies to all of them. It's full of 156 incorporated cities, about 10 of them in Sonoma County, though we have many more uh, communities, and not one of them is God-forsaken. It's home to 9 million people, 500,000 of which roughly are in Sonoma County, uh, roughly 175 in Santa Rosa, and God is desperately pursuing all of them that they would um, know his heart and purposes and uh, will for his life, that um, as surely as God lives, he said, all the earth, including the Bay Area, including Sonoma County, including Santa Rosa, would be filled with the glory of the Lord. And so it says 
in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, right, that now all these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation, namely that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against him. And he has committed to us the word, the ministry, the message of reconciliation. And so I'm here this morning to to say that um, when the scripture said, you know, if God is with us, who can be against us? Or if if Jesus said, I'm sending you into all the world, right, to, to preach and minister the gospel. And he says, I will be with you always, that though we are in a place where people and systems have have thumbed their nose at God, have forsaken God. God has not forsaken this place and he has still entrusted to us a ministry of reconciliation to proclaim good news. So I really believe that though people from around the nation would say, what are you doing in the Bay Area or how rough it is to be in the Bay Area and we can acknowledge elements of that, that this is a great place to be a Christian. This is a great place to proclaim the good news about Jesus Christ and the hope of the gospel. This is a place where we should be bold about carrying a ministry of reconciliation. And I'm so grateful um, that I know that that is your pastor's heart. And so I do want to give a little bit of good news, if I can. Um, I, I, I'm encouraged by um, the fervency of leaders of um, Bible-believing, Christ-honoring congregations in this area. Um, you know, Pastor Paul, Paul, uh, he actually gives um, some of his time to... Um, to encourage and to support pastors coming together and um, being sharpened to be more faithful as shepherds of the congregations um, that they uh, lead, to be faithful as ministers of reconciliation as we proclaim Christ to the community and just gather together and, and encourage one another and seek God together. And over the last couple of weeks, two of those groups that, um, that he helps provide leadership for, um, I've seen, we've actually had a surge in participation. We are seeing more pastors coming together to pray and seek God in that way, Amen. which is really cool. Um, how many of you have something in your home that's too big to lift alone? All right, I'm at the right place. I like that, group participation. We'll just count that as the wave as well. And uh, we did the wave in church. Uh, So part of how I describe what I do is that our community has some things that are too big to lift alone as well in terms of how we interact as a church. And God's given me this wonderful gift to, to bring some communication and coordination to help us gather around some of those things and lift on three, right? Because it's not just getting people around those things that are too big, but it's coordinating enough agreement that we can lift on three. Because if you lift on one and I lift on two, that thing is not going to move. Is that right? And so um, that's part of what I get to do. And, and we're seeing that, that happen uh, with foster care As Paul mentioned, in fact, this next Thursday, pastors from around the county are going to get together and just look at 
how lifting together on three in that area of ministry is making an impact in our community that's helping orphans and widows, as it were. It's, it's bringing hope and ministry into broken family situations, how it's um, helping us be salt and light in this community. And, and the county's gonna send some of their leaders to our pastor's gathering just to say thank you, to say we acknowledge, to recognize that, honestly, it's how the churches have come together and are lifting on three that is some of the, the brightest spots that's actually happening in this area of foster care, which is how it should be. Jesus said that, that when we um, express his life and love and faithfulness to, to the witness of his word and who he is, that we will shine bright and that it will draw attention that causes people to glorify our Father in heaven. We're... We're seeing that, as Paul mentioned, in, in coordination around ministry with the homeless and so grateful for the work that Redwood Gospel Mission does, especially in that framework. We've seen it in our schools. Our schools are just in desperate need. It's just in desperate need. And I'm grateful for those in homeschool and working in Christian and uh, uh, schools and, and it's so vital for our community, not just for um, Christian families who want to help raise uh, their families in, in the knowledge and admonition of the Lord, but for non-Christian families who are looking for a refuge, you know, to, to, to be able to send their, their kids to. But I also am so grateful for churches, and you've done it over the years with Kid Street Learning Theater, where we're coming and trying to partner into those places of need and just express the love of Christ. And uh, earlier this year, um, you know, I was at a meeting with Santa Rosa City Schools where the churches were called out by name and honored. First time they've ever done this as key community partners and just celebrating the huge work that um, churches are doing to like stand in the gap for our schools, which is really cool. Um, there's going to be a newspaper article coming out about our mayor. And I'm saying that all, you know, that, that all of her choices and policies line up, you know, perfectly with the scripture. Let's pray for wisdom for her. She's trying in what she's doing, but they're going to talk about her first year as mayor. And my understanding is that, that one of the things will be talked about in the paper is that one of the things she's most proud of is the relationship she's built with the churches and the impact that that relationship is having on our community. And we've got um, a mayor who's been bold about talking about her faith. We've got a police chief who's been bold about talking about his faith. We have a city manager who uh, is a Christian and has uh, talked about her faith. And uh, to my knowledge as a historian of our city, it's been generations, generations. I don't know, 60 years, 80 years since we've even had that taking place. And I don't say that from a framework of political power. Actually, what I want to communicate is that God is faithfully um, reconciling people to himself, and he's placing them in places where they're becoming more and more uh, representing him, whether it's banking or health or hospitality or schools or whatever, that God is faithfully placing believers to shine for him in, in all sorts of facets of our community, and I'm so grateful for it. And he's at work. He's at work in his body. I, you know, this isn't a Sonoma County thing, but I'm just amazed. I've got, I've got a, a friend who pastors in the city of San Francisco, and last Sunday morning at pre-service prayer, a desperation for God was stirred in their pre-service 
prayer meeting, a grace for prayer, a grace for repentance, and they just kept praying, and their pre-service prayer meeting became the Sunday service, and they just kept praying and praying and praying. They have prayed 24 hours a day, kneeling at the altar, worshiping God, and it hasn't stopped. And so I just want to say again, God has not forsaken the Bay Area, and he has promised to be with us. He is at work, and he's, he's invited us into that work with him. So I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be part of this work with you and grateful and honored to be invited to share this morning. So um, our title for this morning is The Journey Through. And um, anyone have maybe a, a guess? Oh yeah, it says Psalm 23. Looking at the picture, what we're going to talk about. So let's read uh, this passage together uh, this morning. This is one of the most beloved sections of scripture, probably, you know, across time. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness for his namesake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. Amen. Would you pray with me, Jesus? We, we love you. We honor you. We just come before you with gladness this morning, gratitude. We're just asking that you would cause your word to just do its work in our hearts. Lord, that we would um, be built up and edified to know you more, to become more like you, to proclaim you faithfully to uh, this place that needs you so desperately. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen. So Psalm 23, one of the most loved passages of scripture, right? But we're gonna focus on maybe the least appreciated part of that most appreciated passage of scripture this morning. Yea, though I walk, what's that word? What's that next word? Through. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I want to talk about that this morning. Um, how many of you have ever had to go through something? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about, right? It's that thing that you didn't choose, that thing that you can't control, but it's that thing that you know that you're going to have to go through. And the question is, how are we going to go through it? And how is God at work in that framework, in that thing? And, 
And here in this verse, it says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, a shadow can be a threat. A shadow can be a potential outcome. A shadow can be a darkness or a confusion. Death itself, I think in the context of the Psalms especially, can take on different forms. And I think all of them are being referred to, obviously, it can speak to a physical death. It can, it can speak to a spiritual death, a death of spirit, a death of hope. The scripture talks about hope deferred. Uh, it, it, if someone is in a conversation with you and they just say, I feel like I'm dying inside. There's a, in our humanness, there's a sense of like, I think I can, I can you know, recognize what you're talking about. Starving, thirsting, being, being quenched, being diminished in some way. There's death to dreams. There's death to reputation. And of course, there's a type of death that Jesus talked about. For those who would um, desire to follow him, to obey him, to receive his invitation, to become like him. He says, on a daily basis, we're what? To take up our cross and follow him. And, and it was very clear in the implications of that statement that we was saying that we would be willing to die to ourselves in order to come alive to him. Even the very um, working of God in the grace of salvation we see where we are brought from death to life is a dying to trying to make ourselves good for God, a dying to try and fix everything by our own work and ways, a dying of choosing what seems right to us, which is a way of death, in order to find true life in the receiving of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross, in his death, burial, and resurrection. So there are many elements when we talk about death here that, that could apply to you even in practical situations, right? Maybe there's, there's a relational breakdown, a health challenge, a financial setback, Maybe addiction is touching your life or family, character flaws. I think probably everyone in this room knows exactly what this verse is talking about in some way. And the psalmist says, even though I go through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll just be honest, I may not be talking to you, but we live in a culture that is less and less willing to go through things. We are perpetually distracted and perpetually seeking comfort and diversion and ways to avoid going through the things of life. And there's a huge temptation for us in the church to be conformed to the image of the world rather than transformed to the image of God's son. To be those who also are seeking that comfort, who also are being drawn into that distraction, who also are becoming less and less willing to go through the things that come into our lives. 
But as we see in Romans 8.28, God has desired to cause all things to work together, including going through the valley of the shadow of death, for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purposes. So what good things could possibly come from having to go through? I want to encourage us in considering this question. I want to encourage us to be those who are willing to go through things, especially in the way of being countercultural this way. There's a movie, I don't know if I've ever seen it. I definitely don't recommend it because I don't remember it, but it was a movie called Click. I think Adam Sandler was the star, and the premise of the movie was somehow that he had a remote control that would allow him to be able to fast forward his life or rewind his life, but I think particularly fast forward. And some of the premise was this thing like, if, you know, you wouldn't lose your job, but if you could fast forward, like, you know, some, of you, some people may uh, video or digitally record the game today so they don't have to go through the commercials, right? Some people are just gonna watch the game for the commercials. You wanna fast forward the game just for the commercials. You know who you are. <laughs> but they did a study recently around this, like, if you didn't lose, you wouldn't lose your job, you wouldn't, you know, lose going to church on Sunday, you wouldn't lose these things, but if you could fast forward that, if you could, you know, you know, technically your existence would go through work, but you could just fast forward and just presently in your sense of consciousness, just be like, okay, work's over and I get to turn on the television. Like, how much of your life, what are the things of your daily life would you fast forward? And on average of the people that they surveyed, they were willing to fast forward 40% of their life. Friends, that is not from God. But certainly in facing challenge, we can, we can understand that temptation. So I want us to consider that Psalm 23 teaches us that the journey through is a doorway to breakthrough in our lives. We're going to look at three ways, just very quickly for the sake of time. Anyone recognize uh, what's probably about to take place in this picture? All right, this is the Olympic 100-meter dash. We're told in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24, that we are to run the race to win. You notice that at the start of this race that everyone's in the exact same posture. And they're in that posture because they have learned it has been proven over time that that is the best posture to take if you're going to run that race to win. This is a picture from the 1896 Olympics. It's the very first Olympics of the modern age. It was held in Athens, Greece as a nod to the original Olympics. And you see uh, only five runners as opposed to the, the eight or 10 that you saw in the earlier picture. And here in this race, there's actually only one person who's in the position that you saw in the prior picture. His name was uh, Thomas Burke. He was actually from the United States. He was not a sprinter. He was actually known for running 
uh, longer distance races, and he was the only person who got in what's now the traditional starting position, this crouch position, and he was ridiculed for starting the race in that position. People made fun of him, right? Making a little application, he was the only Christian at work. (laughs) Man, why are you different? Why are you postured different towards life? Why are you postured different towards your job? But this guy who was not expected to run this race, not expected to do well, and, and, and was in this odd posture. He ended up winning the 100 meters and setting a world record. And part of why he did that is because we know that if we posture ourselves for the race we're called to run, we have a greater chance of running that race in a way that's going to win. And it's the same way as we're going through things. God, how would you have us posture ourselves as we have to go through difficult things, trying things, valleys of the shadow of death, so that um, those good things that you desire, that race that you've called us could be a race where we win in uh, relation to you and your purposes for our lives. So the first thing I want to say is that the journey through is personal to our relationship with God. Key aspect of what God wants when we have to journey through difficult things is that we would come to know him more. And there's something so interesting in Psalm 23 about it. I don't know that maybe this isn't new to you. Maybe you've picked it up. Maybe you have read Psalm 23 hundreds of times and never noticed this. But here's the thing. In Psalm 23, it's not until verse 4 where we see a very personal and intimate relationship with God emerge out of the psalmist. I mean, it feels that way from the very beginning as he says, the Lord is my shepherd. It's certainly just beautiful theology. It's certainly wonderful and honoring. But, but what happens is we begin to look at as he, he refers to God in, in the true title and honoring way. None of the reference to God is bad in Psalm 23. It says the Lord is my shepherd. Then it's, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me, uh, leads me beside still waters. He restores my soul. He leads me in paths of righteousness. But in the valley of the shadow of death, he says, I will fear no evil because what? You. You. This isn't third person. This is that intimate as we heard in Psalm 27 this morning. This seek my face, your face I will seek. It's so interesting in scripture. We may not want to hear this, but it is in challenge and trial over and over in the scripture that the nature and character of God comes forward in the most powerful and profound ways. The way that we come to know the names of God as we see the revelation of God unfold from Genesis through Revelation. It's often in those places of challenge where we go from he to you. This is Hagar in despair, crying out to God in Genesis 16, and then out of the encounter, that very personal encounter, the you encounter with God, as she is facing literally the valley of the shadow of death, where she says, you are the God who sees. It's Abram in the testing of his faith on the top of the mountain, 
as, as he's about to sacrifice Isaac in, in faithful obedience to, to the word of God in his life and God rescues him. And then that statement of faith comes forward in such a powerful way. You are God who provides. You are the provider as the ram is there in the thicket. It's Exodus 17 as Israel is in battle with Amalek, literally in a valley of shadow of death. And God is showing them that he is the one who fights for them, that he gives them the victory. And they proclaim, you are the Lord, our banner. It just goes on and on. And we probably know it in our own lives where in that place of crying out to God, in that place of not just knowing theology, but encountering God in deep, merciful, faithful relationship. Why would we ever want to click through the chance to know God? Not just theologically, and we need that. I'm not pitting these against one another, but what I'm saying is God wants a intimate, deep, personal, growing relationship with each of us. And unfortunately, you know, in just our frail nature, we are happy and content to talk about he when things are good. It's often in the challenge and the pressure that we press through to come to see and know him in deeper and more meaningful ways. I'll keep going. Secondly, the journey through is transformational in our becoming like Jesus. Here's the thing. One of the key questions when we have to walk through something is, how long is this going to take? We see that in the Psalms over and over. How long, how long? God, what are you after? Just as a little illustration, who knows what's happening in this picture? Water is boiling, right? Water is boiling. And I've got a, a little thermometer. I know the resolution's not amazing, but who here can guess what temperature water is boiling at? I'm testing you guys, right? Some are saying 212 Fahrenheit. Some are saying 100 centigrade, right? Do you know that it is factual that water boils at 212 degrees Fahrenheit or 100, you know, degrees Celsius centigrade. That's, that's factually true, and it's what we teach in schools. And it's an amazing example of teaching facts that aren't true. Do you know that it's not, it's factual, but it's not true that water boils at 200 degrees, 212 degrees. I'm not going to get lost in science, and I don't want to take too long, but, but this is huge for us in recognizing, because because when we look at facts and circumstances and don't understand the true thing that God's after, what happens is we are tempted to stop persevering. We are tempted to, to bail out, to pull the ripcord, to, to not engage with what God's after because, because it's difficult and challenging and tough. So, so let me explain something here very quickly. This is, you know, in a phase change, you're going from ice to water to gas. And the, on the left side, you see this kind of graph, right? Up and to the right, like, like every stock report that every public company wants, right? And, um, and so going up is the increase in temperature. 
and going sideways to the right is what's going on in phase change. So on that second level up, water goes up to 212 degrees Fahrenheit. And then while that heat is still on from the burner, it doesn't get any hotter. And all of the energy coming from those flames is no longer making the water hotter. It's actually going into this endothermic process where the energy is being used to break down the bonds of water in its liquid state. This is why they say a watch pot never boils. Why it seems to take so long, especially in those old methods of like putting water over flame for something to boil, because you get it to 212 degrees and nothing's happened. It takes 100 calories to get water from, two, from you know, 32 to 212. It takes five times more energy to get it from 212 water to 212 gas. Five times more. You know why it takes so much more energy? Because transformation is not an easy process. See, there's this affection, there's this attraction in the way that the hydrogen and the oxygen are bonded to one another. And it takes a lot of energy to break down that affection and that attraction. Our, high, our hearts are idle factories. <laughs> we build affections and attractions and these worldviews and perspectives. And sometimes it takes a bit of pressure and energy to break down those things so we can be transformed and reformed into the image of Christ. A better preacher could probably bring this home a little bit better, but I hope that that stands. Finally, the journey through is purposeful for our growth in faith. I'll just end with this. It says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. I just want to end with a little reflection on the staff. David wrote this. There's an element where I think it's really autobiographical. It's very possible that that valley of the shadow of death he was referring to at least had some level of memory of his fight versus Goliath. We know from um, 1 Samuel 17 that David had his staff with him. In fact, Goliath said, you're coming at me with sticks and stones. It calls out his staff as it says he took it with him to select the five stones. So even though I'm I'm jumping with a little bit of imagination into his encounter with Saul, it is is, um, absolutely consistent to believe that he was holding his staff with him as he was talking with Saul about being the one who could go out and fight Goliath. And Saul says, why would I let you represent us? Goliath is an incredible warrior. He's been a warrior since his youth, and you are but a youth. And what does David do? David begins to tell the story of the faithfulness of God in our lives. And you may not know this. Another, you know, another amazing fact from Adam this morning. Shepherds at that time did not have smartphones. I don't know about you. I use my smartphone to help me remember things. My calendar, 
stuff that I'm supposed to do. Shepherds would use their staff as a way to mark the history of the significant things in their life. Can't you just see David before Saul? Hey, Saul. Hey, king. I know we address him in an honoring way. See this mark right here? This is the mark that I made when I was tending my father's sheep and a lion came to eat one of the lambs. And I went after that lion and I rescued that lamb from its mouth. And I killed that lion. See this mark right here? This is from a time after that where a bear came, even stronger, bigger, more dangerous than that lion to get a lamb. And, and, and God delivered the bear into my hand as well. I rescued the lamb and I killed the bear. See this mark right here? Oh, wait, there's not a mark right there, but there's gonna be. That's where the God who delivered me from the lion and the bear is also going to deliver this uncircumcised Philistine. See, part of what God is doing when he brings us into the valley of the shadow of death is he's causing us to remember his faithfulness to us in prior battles to give us courage to press through in ways that we would glorify him. And so how is God causing all things to work together for good when we have to go through the valley of the shadow of death? He's causing us to know God better. He's causing us to become more like Jesus. He's inviting us to step forward with courage to make him known as we do those things that can only be done through the grace and help of our Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, thank you for this time this morning. I'm so grateful for, um, for Soma community. So grateful for the way that you're at work in all of us. And Lord, we um, don't often know what each day is gonna hold in store. And, and so often we wouldn't choose the circumstances that we're facing. But we ask, Lord, as we face difficult trials, Lord, that we would be those who are willing to go through them in faith and faithfulness, trusting that as we lean into you, as we lean into your word, that you would cause us to know you better, that you would be at work in us to make us more like your son, Jesus, and that you would give us the grace to be courageous against the challenges and obstacles that we're facing, that we might make you known in beautiful and powerful ways. We pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.